Welcome to Money Talks, a series of interviews with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. In this episode, I talk to the Secretary of State for Leveling Up Housing and Communities, Michael Gove. Having entered the House of Commons in 2005, the MP for Surrey Heath has emerged as one of the UK's most influential politicians. Having previously run the Departments for Education, Justice and Food and Agriculture, Gove has developed a reputation as a courageous reformer who gets things done. After taking a prominent pro-Brexit role in the 2016 EU referendum, he then led Boris Johnson's leadership campaign before changing his mind, allowing Theresa May to become Prime Minister. Now a Johnson loyalist, Gove says he's determined to see more homes built in the UK, not least social housing for low-income and otherwise vulnerable families. In this wide-ranging exclusive interview, Michael Gove criticises overly dominant large house builders and discusses the need for greater UK energy security. Michael Gove, very pleased to have you here on The Money, your first sit-down interview with the show. You'll have heard some of that previous conversation. We've had Rose Grayston, who you'll know as a distinguished housing campaigner, previously of Shelter. We mentioned Polly Neat, too, also of Shelter. They're singing your praises, Mr Gove. Are you leading them up the garden path? I hope not. Um, I want to see more garden paths, as it happens, because we need more homes. Uh, We need more homes for people to buy, um, and we need more homes for people to rent at an affordable uh, level. Um, And that's why we're bringing forward legislation, which I hope will uh, help to unblock some of the obstacles in the planning system uh, to make sure that more homes are built. Um, And uh, uh, as your guests were pointing out, if we're going to reach the levels of house building that we need, of course we're going to have to rely on the private sector, on uh, uh, house builders and developers, but we're also going to have to have more uh, homes for social rent being built as well. And we're bringing forward legislation which uh, uh, is designed to ensure that that happens. Secretary of State, I want to talk about um, house building for private purchase and for private rent uh, and other issues in this interview. But I do think we should kick off on social housing. You have made a succession of major speeches on social housing and you said the need for more social housing, council housing, is an urgent cause whose time has come. It's also politically quite savvy, isn't it? If you put social housing, the building of more social housing at the centre of your levelling up strategy, you can retain or try to retain some of those red wall seats. Well, I think it's just a a matter of social justice overall uh, to ensure that we uh, have a variety of different routes which allow people to have a safe, warm, decent home. Um, Naturally, as a Conservative, I'm in favour of home ownership, but I'm uh, even more in favour of uh, everyone who needs to uh, having a place that uh, they can uh, bring up their family um, in comfort and in safety. And uh, we're never going to get uh, the numbers of houses being built that this country needs unless we have social housing built alongside the housing that the private sector will deliver. Um, And I know that in the past... uh, the, the, the view has sometimes been taken that Conservatives are somehow indifferent or even uh, hostile to the principle of social housing. Not at all. It is absolutely the case that we need social housing, not just to get those numbers uh, being built, but also so that people can have uh, security of tenure and they can also pay an affordable rent, which allows them to save for the deposit if they wish to own in due course. 
There are over a million people on the council house waiting list, as you know, half a million in temporary accommodation that's unsanitary or otherwise unsuitable. It is a proper issue with lots of human suffering. Council house building, of course, fell during the 80s when you and I were cutting our political teeth during the right to buy scheme of Margaret Thatcher. But it absolutely flatlined during Blair, Brown, Cameron and May. What's the main obstacle, Michael Gove, to getting more council housing built? Because the alternative is, is that we keep spending tens of billions now, over £30 billion on housing benefit. Basically, the state, the taxpayer funding buy-to-let empires of social landlords, privately run houses, and those social landlords, as you will know, they often don't provide accommodation that is suitable or even sanitary. You're absolutely right. Uh, it's, it's not right to have a system which basically transfers wealth from uh, hard-working taxpayers uh, to landlords in the private rented sector who are not providing decent homes. Um, it, it is clearly the case that it is both more equitable and more efficient to use um, the resource that we have in order to get building. Now, there are several things that uh, uh, we hope to do and which the legislation going through the House of Commons will allow us to do. One is we can reform some of the rules on compulsory purchase to make it easier for local authorities and for the government in order to uh, capture land uh, at an appropriate price so that more of the, uh, uh, the, the value in the uplift of that land is captured by the, uh, uh, the public sector and not in the hands of uh, uh, the landowner. Uh, the other thing that we also need to do uh, is to make sure that the, the planning regime uh, allows local authorities and others to build communities uh, uh, more quickly and more easily. Um, and the third thing is that we need to make sure that uh, our new infrastructure levy, which will replace Section 106, uh, which is the sort of negotiation between local authorities and developers, this new infrastructure levy uh, will, uh, I think, have to be devoted in large part to uh, the provision of more affordable social housing. A lot of people working in local authorities uh, tell me, Secretary of State, that one of the biggest barriers they have is if they spend local authority money, all the rigmarole, building those social homes, they then have to sell them back to tenants if they spark the right to buy within a couple of years. And the money, the proceeds from that sale, then four-fifths of them, as you know well, go back to the Treasury. So the local council doesn't even get the money back to build a new social home. That's a major problem, isn't it? It is a challenge. We do need to make sure that uh, uh, when people exercise the right to buy, uh, that uh, uh, local authorities and other social landlords uh, have the wherewithal to be able to uh, replace uh, the housing stock that has gone into the private sector that is now in, uh, in the hands of uh, tenants who become owners. Um, and we need to make sure there is a one-for-one, like-for-like replacement. And uh, that's a, a message that's well understood by Treasury Ministers and by the Prime Minister, and we are exploring and discussing how we can ensure that when uh, local authorities and registered social landlords do build more, and indeed do extend uh, the right to buy for people who wish to own, uh, that we can have an adequate and suitable uh, replacement of the housing stock. That's, that's critical. And that, that is key, isn't it? Because the right to buy revolution of the 80s, a lot of the housing wasn't replaced, and that's why lots of people opposed it, though for many of the families concerned... Of course, it was life changing. Let's move on to the private sector, if you like, the house builders uh, who dominate this industry. Um, you've described them, Secretary of State, and they deny this, of course, 
You've described them as a cartel. Do you think that word was justified? Uh, yes, I do. I, mean, I, I, I think um, a proper economist like you, Liam, would probably prefer the term oligopoly. Um, but in essence, what we have is uh, uh, a situation where since the economic crash of 2008, um, we've seen more and more of the homes that, that, that have been delivered being delivered by uh, a small group of big volume house builders. Uh, and one of the problems with that is that we don't have a market that is truly competitive. Uh, there are barriers to entry. One of them is the planning system, which means that uh, smaller builders, artisan builders, uh, uh, have been uh, locked out of the system. And it's also meant that the, uh, uh, the developers have been doing uh, a number of things which, to my mind, and you know, I'm, I'm not criticising them, it's, it's my responsibility to change the system, but they've been doing a number of things which haven't exactly worked wholly in the public interest. Uh, there's been manipulation of the, of the land market in order to keep prices at a particular level. Um, and it's also been the case that some volume house builders uh, have been producing homes that are uh, identical uh, uh, and shoddy and low quality. Um, and what we need to do is to make sure that we have uh, uh, both proper planning reform that allows more market entrance, but also to take a, a wider look at the way in which uh, the land and housing market works in order to make sure that it is working in the interests of the citizen, uh, not those people who are uh, currently profiting handsomely. These are strong words, uh, Secretary of State, as you will well know. The housing industry, the house building industry, they will vehemently reject you calling them a cartel, because, of course, cartel behaviour is illegal. We're already at the point where the House of Lords, back in 2016, when they did a detailed report, said our house-building industry, though, has got all the characteristics of an oligopoly. I guess you agree with your predecessor, Sajid Javid, who said the big house-builders have got a stranglehold on the market and they're deliberately building slowly. If all this is your view, and I know other ministers feel the same way, why don't we see a Competition and Markets Authority investigation into our house-building market? The last one was in 2008, um, before that financial crash, which caused the house-building industry to consolidate so much. It strikes me that that CMA investigation is long overdue, Secretary of State, and some people would say, uh, not just housing campaigners, but academics and other analysts too, that the Tory party's worried about doing a CMA inquiry on the big house builders because of the relationship between our political class and campaign donations from developers. How would you respond? Well, I think anyone who's looked objectively at uh, the positions that I've taken since I became Secretary of State would, I think, fairly conclude that I'm in nobody's pocket. Um, and uh, uh, the building safety crisis uh, required me to say to the major developers uh, that they had a responsibility to remediate the properties which they had helped to develop, but also to contribute more broadly uh, towards dealing with that crisis. Now, the major developers objected initially, so they accepted actually that leaseholders shouldn't pay, um, and we, we got them to cough up um, in that process. Uh, some chief executives of the, of, of the major developers and the major house builders uh, uh, used some salty language to describe uh, my approach, but I was absolutely convinced that was the right thing to do. And when it comes to looking at the housing market more broadly, uh, then no option is off the table. And I know that you and others uh, have uh, written and argued for a CMA uh, review. Again, um, I, I won't go into the details of what the department is uh, proposing or thinking of. It would be uh, wrong to preempt any announcement that might be market sensitive in any way. However, 
uh, it is the case that we are looking at a range of options in order to ensure that we can have a better functioning market. Now, as I say, I'm, I'm not criticising any individual. Uh, people um, in, you know, uh, in any industry uh, will behave rationally in order to maximise the return for their shareholders and investors. It's up to government to make sure that the regulations that, uh, that prevail um, and the approach towards competition that exists is pro-consumer and pro-citizen. So, uh, you know, there's nobody to blame ultimately but myself for uh, uh, this situation if it is uh, perpetuated. And that is why, as I say, uh, we need to change. You have a deserved reputation, if I may say so, Secretary of State, as being a very analytical politician. You're a details man. You must have looked at lots of detail before you used a word like cartel and you used it just again on live television. Were you looking at things like the fact that a lot of our house builders are building on 25 or 30 percent margins, huge profit margins. Are you looking, were you looking at the fact that some housing executives are getting double digit million pound annual bonuses? Are you looking at the fact that the average house now costs nine or 10 times average earnings, whereas when you and I bought our first properties, it was more like two or three times average earnings? What was it that led you, Michael Gove, to use that word cartel? Because that's a really big move for you to use a word like that. Well, I, I think it's important that everyone recognises that we in government are aware that the situation at the moment is uh, uh, insupportable. And ultimately, I want to see a healthy housing market with developers and builders, both you know, volume house builders, but also smaller artisan builders, all contributing to more homes being built. But it's also important that the homes that are built are beautiful and attractive and high quality. It's critically important that we get uh, infrastructure alongside those homes. It's also important that we have uh, developers working with communities in order to ensure that there's democratic consent for building. And important also um, that environmental concerns are taken into account. At the moment, um, uh, all of those aims or goals are achieved, if at all, imperfectly. Um, and that is a situation that needs to change. And as you quite rightly point out, when you've got uh, an oligopoly, when you've got a concentration of market power, then it's up to government uh, to look to see how we can reform that market to get it to work better in the interests of citizens. The Conservatives have just lost the Wakefield by-election, of course, as well as Tiverton and Honiton. What do you think that Wakefield result says about levelling up? Is it more than a slogan? It's much more than a slogan. Um, and of course, my congratulations to uh, uh, the two candidates from Labour and the Liberal Democrats who won the by-elections and my commiserations to the Conservative candidates who fought uh, uh, brave and good campaigns. Uh, I think that the, uh, the result in Wakefield is a reminder uh, to us that we need to move further and faster on levelling up. We need to show uh, the, uh, the people who supported the Conservatives in 2019 uh, that we're making the changes, securing the investment, uh, uh, prioritising the policies uh, that will help them uh, through the economic hard times that we're facing um, and uh, guarantee a brighter future. Uh, and there are a number of things that government has done, everything from uh, a, a boost research and development spending to uh, change the way in which the Arts Council funds culture in order to reinforce and to emphasise the fact that we need to extend opportunity uh, so that it's not just London and the South East that is the uh, engine of the economy firing on all cylinders, but every part of the United Kingdom is contributing to growth. How will your party, if you like, 
get your arms around the two sections of society that you now win need to retain your majority, the Tory shires, the so-called blue wall, and the red wall across the north and the Midlands, seats you won for the first time in many cases in 2019. Isn't there a danger, Michael Gove, that the Conservative Party, which many people view as the natural party of power, given your longevity over the years, isn't there a danger that you fall between two stalls? Well, I, I, I absolutely accept the sort of characterization of different parts of the country that, uh, that commentators use, and I, and I completely understand that. But uh, from my point of view, um, uh, we should be thinking about policies that help all parts of the United Kingdom. So uh, if it is the case that we strengthen economic growth and productivity uh, in the North, the Midlands and the Southwest, that takes some of the pressure um, off uh, uh, the green fields of the uh, Southeast and the uh, uh, public services in the Southeast. So uh, in, in that sense, a policy of uh, 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 promoting more equitable growth across the whole of the United Kingdom uh, helps every part of the United Kingdom. But more importantly, whether someone is uh, 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 living and working in Surrey or in Devon or in Yorkshire, uh, then what they want to see is an effective government that is concentrating on making public services more efficient um, and is concentrating also on helping people to uh, uh, get and stay in a good job um, and then uh, find a, a decent home and have uh, the prospect of good educational outcomes for their children. And that is what the government is focused on. It seems pretty useful for the Prime Minister that that vote uh, of the 22 committee happened some weeks before those by-election results, wouldn't you say? Surely, uh, if that vote had happened after those two by-election losses, the results may have been different. Uh, I, I don't think so. Um, uh, again, uh, one of the things is that commentators and journalists will quite rightly speculate about all sorts of aspects of uh, political life. Uh, but... Uh, from the point of view of, of someone who's uh, uh, working in government, uh, that vote happened. The Prime Minister won. I voted for him. I was delighted that he won. It was a clear victory. And now, as the Prime Minister has said, uh, it's our responsibility, Minister's responsibility, to get on with delivery. Um, and I think that uh, speculation uh, 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 exists uh, when... Uh, 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 you know, there, there, there is a desire on the part of some to, you know, focus on uh, the, you know, the Westminster rumour mill. Entirely understandable. Um, but ministers have a responsibility not to get sucked into that rumour mill. Ministers have a responsibility to get on with delivery. So, uh, you know, making sure that our levelling up and regeneration bill, the changes to the planning system and so on, are pushed through, making sure that people see... Uh, that, uh, you know, I'm earning my daily crust by uh, thinking hard about how we can improve the housing market and making sure that more people can get on the property ladder. Some people are even speculating that allies of the Prime Minister put those letters in MPs to the 22 committee chair in order to spark the vote earlier. I mean, I might say that as a former chief whip, I'm sure that you couldn't possibly comment. So let's go back to housing because you'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll know, Michael, that across the country, not just in leafy parts of the southeast, but across the country, many uh, households, many families, as an alternative to pension saving, will have bought uh, one buy-to-let property, maybe a property that they previously owned and then they didn't s sell as they moved. And for many people, not wealthy people at all, uh, not people with buy-to-let empires. I think the average buy-to-let landlord has less than two properties, something like 1.4. So we're talking about 
people of modest means, a lot of them are feeling hammered by your recent white paper, fairer rented sector, given the additional costs that these small-scale landlords will encompass. And they're often very, very good, well-meaning landlords who look after their tenants, who are often long-term. The introduction of restrictions on the no-fault evictions. What would you say to some of them who are natural conservative voters, Michael Gove, who are concerned that you're hammering small-scale buy-to-let landlords who are just trying to save as an alternative to pension savings, given the demise of occupational pensions, given the volatility of financial markets, given very, very low interest rates, which makes it very, very difficult for ordinary people to save. Uh, uh, there is so much in there, I and mean, you make a number of very good points. The first thing uh, I would say is that you're right. The overwhelming majority of landlords uh, are uh, good landlords, good people, who have made a rational decision about how to uh, invest their savings um, and provide a great service for their tenants. That's the overwhelming majority. Uh, but there are some poor uh, uh, landlords in the private rented sector. There are some homes in the private rented sector that are very poor quality, and we do need to take steps to improve that quality. It is also the case that if you look at what's happened in the housing market over the last uh, more than 10 years, what we've seen is the private rented sector grow and at the same time home ownership diminish. So uh, one of the things that I, I would say is that if it is the case that there are some uh, landlords who do sell their properties, um, then that is an increase in housing supply. Uh, uh, it can be of benefit to first-time buyers if we see that market expand in that way. But it is also the case that the legislation that we are bringing forward, uh, which was in our manifesto, will ensure that those who remain in the private rented sector can be guaranteed uh, uh, a decent home, have their rights protected. Um, and it is also the case that if you do have, uh, as a landlord, a tenant whom you do need to evict, then we will make sure that the justice system supports you if that tenant is behaving in an antisocial manner uh, and uh, 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 it's uh, right for you uh, to get them to move on. I want to ask you, uh, Secretary of State, about some other aspects of your brief. Um, you will be acutely aware of the geopolitical importance of energy security and so on. A lot of people in your party, particularly in the House of Commons, are talking about the need to lift that government moratorium on fracking. And you seem to have annoyed Jim Ratcliffe, who is the boss of the energy giant Ineos. He's apoplectic that permission for a fracking site in South Yorkshire has been rejected um, and the justification your department has given is something to do with the Greenbelt. The Greenbelt covers 13% of the, of the English landmass, Secretary of State. All houses cover less than 2%, including gardens. Don't we need to get fracking? Well, you're quite right. There is a moratorium on fracking at the moment and uh, ultimately a decision on... on uh, fracking and um, other forms of energy supplies above my pay grade. But I would say two things. The first thing is that uh, the decisions that are taken by my department, much above my pay grade, decisions that are taken um, by my department are uh, decisions where um, ministers look at the evidence produced by inspectors and exercise a quasi-judicial uh, role in accordance with the law as it stands. And on the same day that uh, a minister in this department made that decision, that, that same minister also gave the go-ahead for exploratory drilling in my own county of Surrey. I'd recused myself from uh, that decision-making, but it's important to stress there is a balance here. But more broadly, um, without getting into the moratorium on fracking per se, I do think uh, that in the light of war in Ukraine, we do need to look 
at uh, energy policy overall, and the Prime Minister and Kwasi have. And I think we do need to recognise that hydrocarbons um, are going to have to be part of um, uh, our energy future for some time to come. Uh, obviously, we, we want to transition towards uh, uh, more energy coming from uh, renewables. Um, we need to invest in hydrogen technology. Um, we need more nuclear as part of the mix as well. Uh, but you are uh, right to point out that because of the situation in Ukraine, and indeed because of, of broader insecurities in uh, the world economy and in the energy markets, uh, we do need to look to our, uh, our own shores to see what more we can do domestically in order to diversify our energy supply. Last couple of questions, if I may. Even in Germany, Secretary of State, where the Greens are part of the coalition in power, they have dropped um, renewable subsidies on household fuel bills. Now, a lot of my viewers and listeners will know that 25% of what they're paying for their electricity at the moment goes on renewable subsidies, often to big landowners, often to big energy companies. Isn't it time to at least suspend those renewable subsidies on household fuel bills. And isn't it time to take VAT off household fuel bills while you're at it, which was promised during the Brexit referendum? Well, they're both intriguing uh, propositions, but um, I'm going to shamelessly duck the question on the basis that um, uh, uh, these are really matters for the PM, the business secretary and the chancellor. Um, and they're all much smarter than me. Um, uh, much more across the detail of all of those questions. And they wouldn't thank me uh, if I were to uh, start outlining what VAT policy or what, for that matter, uh, 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 renewables policy uh, would be. So I know it's always irritating when politicians don't answer the question direct, but I'm not really allowed to venture into that territory, um, uh, you know, for for reasons of uh, collective responsibility. So um, uh, I can't see you. You may well be rolling your eyes. There may be folk at home who are throwing things at the telly. I can only apologise, uh, but, but at least I'm being honest and saying that I am ducking that question. How out of character for you to duck a question, Michael Gove. But anyway, let's see if you duck this one. Famously, you were campaigning for Boris Johnson to become leader in 2016. Then you famously started uncampaigning for Boris Johnson to become leader. And you talked about his character at the time. His character is now absolutely centre stage in our politics. I guess you've changed your mind. Yes. Um, I, I, you, you've got a wonderful turn of phrase. I think uh, it's very gentle of you to say that I was campaigning for him and then I was uncampaigning for him. Um, no, I, I withdrew my support for Boris in, in 2016. Um, and with the benefit of hindsight, that was a mistake. Um, I, I think that uh, uh, I should have supported him throughout that leadership election. Um, I voted for Boris in 2019 when uh, there was a straightforward choice between uh, Boris and, uh, and Jeremy Hunt. I'm a great fan of Jeremy's, actually, but I thought that Boris was the right person at that point uh, to be Prime Minister. And I think he's the right person to be Prime Minister now and uh, well into the future. Uh, I think that uh, on our handling of COVID, in particular, but not exclusively, uh, uh, the vaccination and booster programme. Uh, uh, Boris's judgment has been vindicated. I don't think anyone could have broken the Brexit on pass in the 2017-2019 Parliament in the way that he did. And more recently on Ukraine, I, mean, I think his leadership has been inspirational. So uh, I'm perfectly happy to say uh, that I got that one wrong. Uh, and uh, uh, generally, uh, if I have made a mistake, 
I prefer to acknowledge it. Um, there may be other mistakes that you want to bring up um, uh, <laughs> that I've made in the past, but that was definitely a big one. Michael Gove, Housing Secretary, Leveling Up Secretary, good to have you with us here on The Money. We're grateful to you for your time today and for your mostly frank responses.